Our text for this morning will be taken from the book of Mark, chapter 15. We'll read two verses, verses 25 through 27. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him, and the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. You know, most of us, when we think of the cross or we think of Calvary, of course, our minds normally go to Good Friday, Easter. We think of that central cross where Jesus was placed upon it. And certainly we know Jesus is the central theme throughout the whole Word of God, the one who paid for our sins by giving his life on that cross. But we also recognize in all of the accounts and all of the Gospels regarding this particular event that there were three crosses that day. Not just one, but three. I guess if you were going to put a title to the message this morning, you could call it Three Crosses, Two Choices. Of course, those three crosses have eternal significance. We know, again, that central cross That cross where Jesus died represents redemption. The Son of God and the Son of Man, perfect, sinless, dying for sin. You have the thief, the rebellious, arrogant thief, the unrepentant thief dying in his sins. And then you have the other thief, the penitent, repentant one, dying to his sins. So we see three crosses, two choices. You know, it's been said that on Calvary, all men are divided. We stand on either side of the cross of Christ. Those two crosses represent two choices. One resisted and rebelled and ended up in an eternal hell. The other responded and repented and believed even in his dying hour and was given eternal life. And we understand Jesus died for both of those men. Consider the cross of Christ, that middle cross. Again, we know that that is where redemption takes place. That cross was not here incidentally or by accident. That cross of Christ was not there in opposition of God's will, as awful as it was. It wasn't a miscarriage of justice, although we look at it as an innocent man dying. Certainly that would seem unjust, And yet we know that cross was there intentionally and for a purpose. That cross was placed there by God himself to serve a very special significance. In Revelation 13.8, it tells us that Christ was that lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 10, gives us a beautiful description of why the cross was placed there on that day. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It's through that cross that we're justified. 
It's through that cross that we can escape the wrath of God. It's through that cross, that death of Christ, that we're reconciled, put back in the right uh, arrangement with God, the right relationship with God. We're reconciled through the cross and we're saved through Christ, through the cross, through his blood. Jesus died for our sins so we don't have to die in our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's, you, if you've ever studied the crucifixion, often you'll find descriptions of the physical pain that a person went through on the cross. It was the most agonizing, excruciating pain imaginable. Sometimes a person could suffer on that cross for up to three days and writhing in pain and agony. Matter of fact, it was so brutal and so inhumane that later the Roman Emperor Constantine outlawed it completely. But it was more than just a suffering cross for Christ. You know, it was a substitutionary cross. Jesus literally and physically died in our place. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. We know it says he became sin for us who knew no sin. That cross was there intentionally by God's design. I thought of the words to a song. I used to sing this in Woodlake. It's called He Grew the Tree, and I think it describes pretty well what I'm trying to say here. It says, speaking of God, he molded and built a small only hill that he knew would be called Calvary. Then he made the seed that would grow to be thorns that would make his son bleed. Then he made a green stem, gave it leaves, and then gave it sunshine and rain and sheltered it with moss. He grew the tree that he knew would be used to make the old rugged cross. Nothing took his life with love he gave it. He was crucified on a tree that he created. With great love for man, God stayed with his plan. He grew the tree so that we might go free. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God for that cross. Thank God for that price that was paid for our redemption. Jesus himself predicted his death on that cross. In John 3.14, he said, As Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, referring to himself and his death on that cross. So we know, we look at the cross of Calvary, we look at that cross of redemption, and then we consider, we turn our attention to another cross. This is the cross of that unrepentant thief, Luke 23, verse 39, says, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself in us. You know, this thief, he realized three things. He realized that he was under a death sentence. He realized he was helpless to save himself. And he wanted to be saved. But the question is, saved from what? He wanted to be saved from his circumstances. He wanted to be saved from the consequences of his sin with no interest in being saved from his sins. 
You know, too many people today, they want the Lord to step in and deliver them from all their problems and all the difficulties that are because of their own choices and their own lifestyles. And they want God to make them comfortable, take all of that away, yet they don't want to surrender to Christ. They want to continue on in their sin. This man wanted Jesus to change his circumstances without changing his heart. I thought about a story I heard about a man in prison. And finally, he started praying and he said, Lord, send me a more comfortable mattress. This bed is terrible. I can't sleep in here. And I'd like a new pillow. And, and while you're at it, can you do something about this food? It's terrible. I'd, I'd love to have a decent meal. And finally, the Lord stopped him and said, you're spending all this time asking me to make you more comfortable in your prison. Why don't you just ask me to get you out of your prison? Well, too many people are like that. They want to be comfortable in their sin. They want God to help them when they get in difficult situations, but they're not interested in changing their hearts. They only want their circumstances to get better. This thief, we see how he began his prayer, if you can even call it that. He says, if... If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. You know, the Bible says that when we come to the Lord asking anything, we must ask in faith. This man was full of skepticism and doubt. This wasn't an honest inquiry or a plea for help. And I've heard of testimonies of people who literally were ignorant of the gospel and they were coming to the end of the rope and they said, God, if you're real, just show yourself, prove yourself to me, help me. That's a different kind of prayer altogether. That's an honest inquiry. This man wasn't interested in any of that. He just wanted Jesus to get him off of his cross. You know, one of the greatest ironies in this man's challenge is if Jesus had actually done what he had suggested, if he had saved himself, he would have been unable to save anybody else that day, but it was in the fact he didn't save himself that he was able to save that penitent, repentant thief. You know, tragically and ironically, this unrepentant thief ended up dying in his sins while hanging just a few feet away was the one who was dying for his sins. Hanging just a few feet away from the very Son of God, a few feet away from the door to heaven, if you will, Yet in a few short hours, he stepped out into a lost eternity. So close, yet so far away. You know, salvation is so close. And eternity is also so close. I don't think people realize how close eternity really is. Every one of us here is one breath and one heartbeat away from eternity. Every single one of us here, one day will be somewhere in eternity. That's just a fact. You know, the mortality rate for the human race is 100%. Every, every one person will die. It's like one guy said, we're not going to get out of here alive. But the good news is we can choose where we spend eternity. Salvation is also closer than most people Realize Acts 17.27 says he is not far from any of us. You know, salvation for the sinner and deliverance is literally one prayer away. The moment you get completely honest with God, the moment you're willing to surrender everything to the Lord, like we heard Friday night, you leave it all on the shore 
you cast out, you step out in faith, and you literally give the Lord everything, and you pray that prayer of faith, you believe, you call on the name of the Lord, you repent with an honest heart. The Lord will save you that very moment. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord is not... The Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Salvation is closer than you think. One honest prayer away. Eternity is also closer than many of us even realize. Well, this man made his choice because he remained unrepentant and unremorseful. Tragically, he died unforgiven. This man, to cho- this man chose to remain in his sins and to die in his sins, all the while ignoring the one right next to him who was dying for his sins. You know, Jesus could have saved that man and redeemed him that day. We know he could have. But there was one thing Jesus could not do for that man on Calvary. There's one thing that Jesus cannot do for any one of us. He can't make that choice for us. The Lord could take everything else from us. God could take our breath. He could take everything we have, but He gives us a choice. That's the one thing. It says God won't violate our free will. He gives each of us a choice. That man made his choice. Again, we see one of the two choices that's presented to every one of us in this account. Three crosses, two choices. But then we turn our attention to that second thief, that repentant one. One man died in his sins. This man died to his sins that day. We read about it here. We read in verses 40 through 43. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What a contrast between this man and that unrepentant thief. We see here that this man began to fear the Lord. I don't know when that happened. The Bible doesn't tell us. But one thing is certain, this man began to fear the Lord. This man realized he was about ready to step out into an eternity in an unsaved condition, and he was going to be facing a righteous, holy God. You know, nobody, nobody will ever get saved. Nobody can get saved until they first learn the fear of the Lord. The Bible says it's the fear of the Lord that uh, is the beginning of wisdom. Why would people surrender their life to a God they didn't fear? You know, people mock God. They ridicule God. They tell jokes about God. uh, They shake their fist at God. They deny God. They curse God. But very few truly fear the Lord. But this man began to learn the fear of the Lord that morning. We see he was willing to confess his sins. That's very important. Luke 23, 41. He says, we receive the due reward of our deeds. He recognized it was his own deeds, his own fault that he was on that cross. 
He was accepting responsibility, maybe for the first time ever. He wasn't blaming anybody else. He wasn't blaming his parents or society or a traumatic birth or whatever else people blame their problems on. He realized it was him, his own sins. It was his responsibility. And he was willing finally to take responsibility for his own actions. Instead of trying to deny and hide his sins, he was confessing them before the Lord. The Bible says, again, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This man recognized who Jesus was that day. We read the other accounts in Matthew and Mark, and it says that at the beginning, both of these malefactors were cursing the Lord. But something happened to this second man as he near got near to that point of death. He recognized who Jesus truly was. He realized that Jesus was that perfect, sinless, spotless, guiltless person. He said, this man hath done nothing amiss, nothing amiss, until we realize who Jesus truly is. I don't see how anybody can be saved. We need to understand he is perfect. He is sinless. He is holy. He's the only one who can take away the sins of the world. Jesus himself said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man could come to the Father except through me. Jesus was that only perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. The man recognized that this day. He also recognized the fact that Jesus was a king. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, Jesus must not have looked much like a king at that moment when this man gazed upon him, beaten and bloodied beyond recognition, cursed, mocked, spit on, humiliated, nailed to a cross. Yet something in this man's heart took hold. He had faith and he recognized this, this man here on this cross. He rules a kingdom and he recognized it was that heavenly kingdom and he prayed a prayer of faith. He said, Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't say, Lord, if you're the Christ, do this. Lord, if you're God, prove yourself. Lord, if you're uh, God, show yourself real. He simply said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the most important thing of all is he recognized and believed and confessed Jesus as Lord. He said, Lord, remember me. He didn't say, Rabbi, great teacher. He said, Lord, remember me. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's what this man did that day. Because this dying thief was willing to humble himself and pray a prayer of repentance, because he was willing to reach out in faith, Jesus was able to save him in his dying hour. And then we read the most beautiful words probably in all of Scripture. Jesus turned to him and Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What an amazing picture of God's mercy and his grace. But you know, some may read that account and they may hear that account. You may think to yourself, Well, there's plenty of time. Jesus was merciful. I mean, he saved this man clear in his dying hour, so I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to revel in sin. I'm going to do everything I want to do. And then when I'm ready to die, I'll call out to the Lord. If you're thinking that, don't be a fool. 
Don't trifle with God's mercy and grace. The Bible says today is the day. Now is the accepted time. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. We don't know when eternity will be for each of us today. If the Lord is dealing with you, don't harden your heart. Don't put it off. You know, as Matthew Henry said, there is only one example of a deathbed conversion in the Bible, so nobody will lose hope. But there is only one example, so nobody will presume. We don't want to be presumptuous with God's mercy and His grace. We need to realize, too, that every one of us are somewhere in this account. We're all like one of these two thieves. We were all rebels against God at one point, heading the wrong direction. The Bible says we're born in sin, shaped in iniquity. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's not one righteous, no, not one. So we know by nature, by birth, we're headed the wrong direction. We're helpless to do anything about it ourselves. But just like one of each of these thieves, we are given one thing, and that's a choice. We're given a choice. All men are sinners by birth, but they remain sinners by choice. Two thieves, two crosses, one on each side of Jesus, two choices, two destinies. One man died in his sin. The other man died to his sin. And there was Jesus in the middle dying for the sins of the whole world. We have to decide which side we're going to be on. There's no neutral cross. <laughs> there's no, you can't remain in the middle. And you notice there's not three or four crosses on each side of Jesus. It's not multiple choice. There's one choice, two choices. We can believe and repent, or we can resist and rebel. We can be lost, or we can be found. We can perish, or we can be saved. But we have to make that choice ourselves. You can choose the cross of Christ. You can choose to be crucified with Christ and live. That's why Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ that liveth within me. That's part of following Jesus. He himself said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You can bear the cross of Christ to be saved, or you can bear another cross. You can bear that cross of the world, that cross of sin and shame and rebellion, and in the end, perish in your sins. But you have a choice. We all have a choice. What will your choice be today? You know, I was thinking about a story I heard the other day about an officer named O'Hanlon, and he was a police officer in England many years ago. One night he was out on patrol. It was late at night, and he heard some whimpering. He heard a small child whimpering, and at the time there were a lot of orphanages in England. So he went around the corner, and he saw this small boy sitting on the curb, distraught. So he asked him, what's the problem? And the boy told him, well, I'm not an orphan, but I'm lost. I can't find my way home. So he asked him for some street names, and the boy said, I, I don't remember any street names. I'm, I'm too young. I can't read. So he said, well, do you know where the city park is? And the boy said, no, I, I don't know. Do you know where the courthouse is? And again, the boy was just more distraught. He couldn't remember any of the landmarks or anything. And then the officer looked up, and he happened to notice 
the city church had this huge cross on the top of the church and it was illuminated and shining in the night. And so he had an idea. He said, boy, do you live anywhere near that? And the kid looked and his face lit up. He said, oh, yes, yes. He says, if you can take me to the cross, I can find my way home. Well, the same thing can be said for every one of us. You know, it's at the cross we find our way home. If you're lost, you're dying in your sin this morning. The good news is you don't have to stay there. Look to Jesus, the one who paid for your sins, the one who died, bled on that cross. You can call on the Lord for mercy and grace and forgiveness, and he'll do that. You know, it wasn't just salvation that Christ purchased on the cross. The Bible says we're sanctified through the blood of Jesus. It says that the Lord, uh, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, was willing to suffer without the gate. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. We have access to that Holy of Holies because of Jesus' death on the cross. You read that account where it says as Jesus uh, gave up that last drop of blood and he cried out and said, it is finished. He said in that moment, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. That place where only the Holy of Holies dwelled and uh, that place where only the high priest had access once a year was now torn wide open, available to all because of the blood of Jesus. The Lord provided healing on the cross. It says, by his stripes we are healed. Whatever your need is this morning, you can look to the cross. Thankful the power of the cross is just as real today. The blood of Jesus is just as effective, just as real today. It can meet every need, whatever that may be. Again, if you're unsaved this morning, you can, that can all change. You can make that choice to look to the Lord, say, Lord, I'm going to take up my cross follow you. I'm going to surrender and the Lord will save you today. The song is 305. Let's come and pray.